Okay, so we are studying the glory of God, and um, before I do that, let me tell you my two little jokes. Um, For those who think the Bible is outdated, we just want you to know that 3,500 years ago, Moses had the first tablet that could connect to the cloud. (laughs) Just saying. So, uh, okay, God grades on the cross, not on the curve, just saying. And here's my last funny one. Uh, Atheists don't solve exponential equations because they don't believe in higher powers. (laughs) So anyway, okay, I start usually start with a little joke. Um, So um, J.I. Packer wrote in his classic book, which uh, he put out in 72, Knowing God, He wrote, we are modern man, and modern man, though they cherish great thoughts of man, have as a rule very small thoughts of God. Um, A.W. Tozier, another classic, in his book, Knowledge of the Holy, comments, the church has surrendered her once lock on the concept of God and has substituted it for one so low, so ignoble, that it is utterly unworthy of thinking. And she has done this, not deliberately, but little by little, without her knowledge, and her very unawareness only makes the situation more tragic. Her low view of God, entertained almost universally among Christians, is the cause of a hundred lesser evils everywhere among us. With our loss of the sense of majesty, um, it, is come, it has come a further loss of religious awe and a consciousness of the divine presence. So somebody asked me, what do I feel like is the problem of the church today? Um, we, the church in America, have become skewed in our thinking towards God. We've taken a wrong turn, and in a lot of ways, we've lost our way. We have lost the prime directive, which is to give God glory Um, And this is the glory he deserves. Um, But let me give you the heads up. He remains undiminished in spite of our inability to conceive of him correctly. He is who he is. And we're the ones that have to get our thinking more in line. In the last 45 years since these guys wrote these books, our opinion of ourselves has gotten even greater. Look at what we can do. I mean, it's just amazing. Like, I mean, it is amazing. SpaceX, some of these things, it's crazy. Um, But as our opinion of ourselves has become larger, um, our opinion of God as creator has been minimized. Uh, We want, as Americans especially, a God we can understand. Uh, One we can put in our back pocket, like our iPhone, and pull them out when we need them. Uh, We pick and choose God's perfections that we like. Some things we like about God, and that wrath part, we don't really like that. We don't like that part. Um, So we we magnify the things that we like, and this has been a classic problem within the Church of America. Um, We've had lots of ministers. I'm giving you a Rob Bell is one I'm thinking of right now. He started out as an evangelical Christian, and... And he started teaching, and, and some of his things were fabulous. And then he, you know, he got in, in love with the love of God. 
And then all of a sudden, he's writing a book that says, Love Wins, and everyone goes to heaven because love wins, because God is a God of love. So you, again, you see how that is how, how it encroaches? And I, here's what I want you to know. Um, I've had people, I've had relatives that, know, that should know better say to me, well, I don't like that about God. <laughs> like, excuse me? This is God that created us, and he's given us this. This is his truth. And, and, you get, and, and now you stand in judgment over that God? And I'm like, okay. Um, let me just say uh, 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4. And I quote a lot of scripture. Um, if you want ever notes, just text me or email me, and I can send you these notes. Um, you could, I give you a little paper if you want to take notes. Um, but 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4. For the time is coming... And Paul's writing 2,000 years ago, and I believe has come, <laughs> when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And that, ladies, if you don't, can't see that's happening today, I just don't know what. Um, everyone feels like their opinion is more important than what we know as real truth. Um, I, for one, do not want to believe in a God that I can understand completely. Do you, do you get that? I mean, if he's God, how is it that my small mind can ever fathom him? Um, so the world wants to turn God into something they can easily understand, but see, I want a God that's beyond anything I can possibly imagine. And in this study... I would like to journey through scripture to find the God who is so amazing and so magnificent and so powerful that when we look at him, we can't help but give him the glory that he so richly deserves. And instead of minimizing who he is and making him something that I can understand and like and, you know, like a little, almost like a, a Polly Pocket. Do you remember Polly Pockets? You, know, you have this little, and you just put it in your pocket. You know, that's how a lot of the modern church today, we, we take him out, and if we have problems, oh, he comes out. But when we don't have problems, we put him back in, because, you know, we're doing good. Um, so um, David, who wrote Psalm 34, wrote in verse 3, he said, I want to magnify the Lord. Um, he's so magnificent. So instead of minimizing, let's magnify him, and that's kind of what we're here today. Um, let's bow, and I'm going to pray a prayer that Jude, <laughs> brother of Jesus, wrote um, a long time ago. Jude 1, 24 and 25. Let's bow our heads. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and now, and forever. Amen. Amen. We're going to be reading a lot of doxologies, because doxologies is basically a little passage that talks about glorifying God. And it's all through the New Testament, well, all through the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, Paul will, Paul's my favorite, because he will be talking about a really great truth, and then he just breaks out in a doxology, like he can't help himself. <laughs> and I think to myself, that should, we should do that. 
We should be like so, you know, thinking and, and just saying, oh, thanks God for that. That is amazing. Did I tell you today how amazing you are, God? You know, that should be our, our thought because we, he's so involved with us. Sometimes we just don't get it. So let me by say, start this whole study by saying that in studying the glory of God, I totally bit off more than I can chew, okay? <laughs> just, just, let's say, you know, this is way up here. And here's Debbie, way down here. Um, J.R.I. Packer wrote, uh, as clowns yearn to play Hamlet, so I have wanted to write a treatise on God. And I'm like, yeah, and I'm the clown too. You know, like, uh, where am I? Who am I? How can I? But I, here's the deal. This is a Holy Spirit adventure. So he's going to do the teaching. And hopefully I can just get out of the way so that he can do the right thing. Um, John Owen, a Puritan pastor, wrote in 1600s, uh, this very long thing, it's very confusing, but let me just cut to the hard part. After our utmost and most diligent inquiries, we must say how little a portion it is of him that we can understand. His glory is incomprehensible and his praises unutterable. See, it's like too big for us. And, and here's Wolf Pannensburg. By the way, for new people, I, I like old dead people. That's, if I can find their stuff and they wrote in the 1600s, it's good stuff. Pretty much anything that stands the test of time. But anyway, this guy wrote, um, any intelligent attempt to talk about God... Um, must be aware of the, the conditions and the limitations. We must begin and end with the confession of the inconceivable majesty of God, which transcends all concepts. So there's three really smart people that say they don't get it. So I'm in good company. Um, and we're going to trust that this is going to be a God thing. And as you even hear things, this is what I want you to say. I'm like, I want you to say, Jesus, help me understand this. Because I've been saying that this whole time. That's a good place to be. He likes to be consulted. You know, David was one of the best guys in the Old Testament. Why? Because he inquired of the Lord. He asked. So that's what I want us to get good at, is asking him to explain things to us. Because these are going to be high, high and this is a deep study. This is not, you know, Paul's talking about the meat and the, and, and the nerd, the milk. This is the meat. Um, but let me just tell you, it's good for us to learn to chew meat. Um, it's really good. And here's the other thing I want you to say. This is not going to be a study that you're going to hear at one time and say, oh, I totally get it. This is, I want you to masticate on this study. I want you to chew it and chew it and chew it. And the first time you might say, oh, I don't get it. That's okay. Because see, in our world, it's like, and especially in education, because oh, I was there, let me just tell you. Like, if they don't get it the first time, then there's something wrong with it. I'm like, no, it's just a little beyond you. So you got to stretch a little bit. You got to think a little bit. You got to read it a few times. You know, uh, I can't think of her name. One of my favorite girl teachers uh, says, we read the, when you read scripture, you should read the first time for comprehension, the second time for interpretation, and the third time for application. Um, so, I mean, like she said, every passage you should be reading it at least three times. And I love that because I think that we think, Everything should be funny paper simple for us. And he's like, these are the deeper things. We're talking about a God who's very, he knows all things. Um, we're going to be so much more in love with him at the end of the study because we're going to know him more. Can I make a comment? Yep. So when I was in Bible Study International, 
um, we came upon the put all others before you. Now I was early 30s and I was all about me. <laughs> I'm like, put all others before you? All others? Like everybody? <laughs> Took me like three weeks to get that one. <laughs> Just gonna say so. But I got it. <laughs> And he, the Holy Spirit, let me just say, you know, read John. We just went through John. You know, the Holy Spirit is our teacher. He is to lead us into truth. Um, So we're not alone in this. Um, But we have to ask because uh, you have not because you asked not. James said that. Okay, so let's talk about this. Um, So what is the glory of God? Let me give you some good definitions. Um, John Piper, who is not dead, <laughs> says that the glory of God is the infinite beauty and greatness of the manifold perfections. Um, now, perfections is another code, kind of a newer word for his attributes. Um, so basically what, it, what John is saying is that you throw all the attributes, you put them all together, and whoa, step back. That's the glory of God. All of them. All of them. And uh, Dan DeHaan writes, God's glory is the total manifestation of all his op- uh, attributes. Jonathan Edwards, the Puritan pastor, said, The glory of God is consisting of his greatness and his goodness. So, the glory, so glory is another word for the sum total of all the divine excellencies um, and they refer to his internal ones as well as the manifestation, the declarative ones, the ones that we see out. John Calvin writes, the glory of God is when we know what he really is. When we really get there, that's when we're really, we're in tune, we get what the glory of God is. Um, Dwight Pentecost writes, glory is God's displayed excellence. Um, and John, back to Jonathan Edwards, my, one of my favorites. Um, this is uh, the beams of God of glory come from God and are something of God and are refunded or reflected back again to their original so that the whole is of God and in God and to God. And God is in the beginning, the middle and the end of this affair. <laughs> So, again, it's a big concept. I want us to be thinking about it and asking him to help us understand it. Um, Okay, so the Hebrew word for glory is kabod, and it means weight, honor, substance, gravity, greatness, abundance. It's actually a word that connotes heaviness. It's, It's a heavy thing. Um, The Greek word for glory is doxa. We get doxology from it. It means radiance, repute, praise, honor. Um, Its classical roots have the meaning of opinion where we get the word dogma from or reputation. Um, Glory is a noun, a verb, and an adjective. So why is it important to study the glory of god well most theologians believe that the glory of god is the overarching theme of the entire bible now you're like really yeah really and it's by thanksgiving you're going to agree with me because but i got to prove it to you and we're going to start next week in genesis and we're going all the way through um so again i want i'm going to tell you what these smart people say 
But at the end, you're going to have to dig in. And if you want, you can do your homework because that gives you more scripture. Because the more you are in the word, the more he will speak to you. His word is living. It's sharper than a two-edged sword, he says. And But here's what I'm seeing a lot, especially with ladies' ministries. You know, and I, I have nothing against... There's some beautiful devotionals on, but here nothing can substitute for you opening the book and saying, "Speak to me today, Lord. What would you have?" And 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 letting him and you know and again, yes, it's hard to understand. Well, that's like you know he's like a college professor, and we're like kindergartners. Yeah, it's going to be hard to understand. It's okay. He loves us. And he'll work us through. He's like a great tutor. He's a tutor. Um, okay, so John Calvin writes, the world was no doubt made that it might be a theater for divine glory. Um, Steve Nicholas comments of something that uh, Augustine wrote, you know, St. Augustine, um, where he said, everything flows from the question of glory. Once the question of glory is settled, where glory belongs and where it will reside, everything else flows from that. Uh, Nichols, he's really talking about St. Augustine's book, The City of God, which I tried to read once. That was a little, <laughs> that was a little tough. I like reading all these old people, um, but some of them are really tough. <laughs> um, so I talk about reading things four or five times like, what does that mean? But anyway, the Westminster Catechism, which was written in 1646 by a Scottish minister, and it was designed, the shorter catechism was designed to actually teach children. So they would ask questions, and then the kids would memorize the response. And the first question of the kids' version was, um, what is the chief end of man? Why we're here? Why are we here? What is... And to enjoy him forever. forever. Yep. See, she gets a gold star. <laughs> you can share in my mango and avocado. <laughs> so, um, so that is, uh, Steve Nichols wrote a book, and he, he says, the glory of God is, is like our true north. So, so here's the compass, okay? No matter where you turn this, north is always going to be north. It always points. And in our discussion of God, Every, you know, the glory of God is really kind of our true north. That's what we are to be doing. Um, I, I'm going to get verses to back that all up in a second. Um, but he wrote, the glory of God is the compass that keeps all of our theologian, our pastoring, and Christian living oriented in the right direction towards God and away from ourselves. The pull in the opposite direction, the pull to be all about us, like you mentioned, that pull is so strong that David in Psalm, well, the psalmist repeats in Psalm 115.1, he says, not to us, O Lord, because we're slow learners, he repeats it, not to us, but to your name be the glory, okay? Because there is within us, and this is part of our, our fallen nature, it want, we all want it to be about us. And you know what? When we start to understand it's really not about us, it's really about him and how we fit into his plan, not trying to get him into our plan, that's the beginning of Christian maturity. Um, but it's, and that's where I, we'll eventually get there. Um, so John MacArthur 
I'm giving you like, like smart people's opinions so you know that I'm not making this stuff up. Okay. Uh, John MacArthur says, The pinnacle of man's being is glorifying and enjoying God. The highest purpose any individual can have is to be totally absorbed in the person of God and to view all of life through the eyes filled with his wonder and his glory. That is their perspective of the true worshiper, the one who truly glorifies God. Um, if you're a Star Trek fan, glorifying God is our prime directive. Um, okay, so why, where am I getting this from? Okay, so I'm going to give you a lot of scriptures right now, and I'm going to read them. I have them all written out because I just don't, I can't take the time to flip around. Um, and a lot, some of these are in your homework, some of them are not. Um, so Isaiah 43, 6 and 7 says, bring my sons from afar and my daughters, that's us, from the end of the earth, everyone who is called by my, by my name, whom I have created for my glory. Okay? So I'm going to prove to you through scripture, uh, that was my thesis, and I'm going to give you lots of verses. Okay? So Psalms 19, 1 through 3, most of us know this one. But I have recently discovered the Passion Translation. So I'm going to give you the regular one that you know, and then I'm going to whet your appetite because you might say to yourself, ooh, I need to read that. Um, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the night sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, there are no words, whose voice is not heard. Okay, and the Passion Translation says... God's splendor is a tale that is told, written in the stars. Space itself speaks its story through the marvels of the heavens. His truth is on tour in the starry vault of the sky, showing his skill in creation's craftsmanship. Each day gushes out its message to the next, night by night, whispering to its knowledge of all, yet without a sound, without a word, without a voice being heard, yet all the world can hear its echo. Everywhere, its message goes out. Isn't that beautiful? So anyway, you can get that on your phone, the Passion Translation. Now, I love the Passion Translation. I love the message. And you have to know that these are translations. However, they're not study. They're, they, you don't want to study from them. You need to study from something that is more literal. Um, but you need to enjoy the other ones. <laughs> um, and also, too, if, if you know of anybody or if you're a new believer... It, read an easier translation because it's just a, it takes a lot of the start it takes a lot of the hardness out of it. Um, okay, so let me get you some more verses. First Chronicles sixteen twenty eight, and I think you have this in your book. Uh, no, First uh, Chronicles sixteen twenty eight. It says, "Ascribe to the Lord, O families of my peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength." And ascribe is another word for meaning give credit where credit's due. You know, if you ever watch a movie, um, they have credits, right? And, you know, you have the, the, all the actors or whatever. And at the very end, it'll have the producer um, and uh, the director. And their name is huge because, honestly, everybody, they're the boss of the whole operation, so if you watch, like, Star Wars or whatever, just wait until the end, and you'll see, I can't think of his name, um, 
uh, he's, his name is Lucas. No, yeah, George Lucas. You'll see his name in huge letters because nothing would have happened without George. And you might enjoy this, right? And, and that, I think we need to be starting to realize that nothing really happens without God. He's the, he's the mover and the shaker. So we have to ascribe him, give him the credit that he's due. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, and this is on your first page of your, when we talk about the glory of God. It says, uh, 1 Corinthians 10:31 uh, says, whatever you do, do all for the, to the glory of God. Uh, Matthew 5, 16 in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, in the same way, let your light shine before men in such a way that men see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Um, so all my good works should be pointing to the glory of God. And if I get, if I get like the Pharisees, they were like, oh, let me give my good works. Let me give you, let me ring a bell and I'll give my tithe. Let me stand on the corner and let me pray. Jesus said not, that none of that is good. None of that's good because they're doing it to, for the praise of man. We need to be doing everything to orchestrate more glory for God. Okay, so 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20 says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? And you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Wait for it. So glorify God in your body. Could it be? This is our directive, our prime directive. In um, Romans 1, 21 and uh, 22, 20, 21, and 23. Um, for it says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nation, nature has been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that the people are without an excuse. Now, I was going to do this, but I forgot to. But if I had a flower here, okay, I could tell every one of you, I want you to draw your picture of this flower. And you would like, you know, if you spend a lot of time, you could make this beautiful flower. But at the same time, Jesus, he made like, I don't know, 30,000 kinds of flowers. And he did this all in one day with everything else he created, you know, the plants and the plants. I, I mean, and you're like, and he did it in 3D. Like, do you remember when 3D printers came out? We were like, oh, amazing. Why don't we ever be? Why don't we ever look at a flower and say, "Oh, that was amazing," because it's become so commonplace. And here's keep reading, because I'm gonna keep reading. <laughs> For the, although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor they gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being, and birds, and animals, and reptiles. This is our problem. We have exchanged the glory. Um, and, and let me just say, God wants his glory back. He really does. Um, he says, I will not give my glory to another. Okay, so what happened? Well, see, sin entered the equation, and it became about us and not about him. And that happened in the garden, and it's happened since then. Sin came in the world. The theological definition for sin is anything contrary to the nature of God. See, a lot of us think sin, and they think of all the bad things. 
But really, sin, is de- its very definition comes from everything that God is not. Okay, so God is perfect, sin is not. And, and actually, the Greek word hamartia for sin is missing the mark. In other words, you, you set up a bullseye, and anything that doesn't hit the bullseye is missing the mark. And that's, the bullseye is God, and anything that misses the mark is sin. We don't like that. <laughs> I don't like that. Because <laughs> that means I'm way more of a sinner, you know, than I think I am. Because I see him in his holiness and I worship in the splendor of his holiness. I'm like, oh no, I'm not anywhere close to that. What is sin? If Bible tells us, for all have sinned, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I'm just saying, that's where we are. So this is a hard concept, but we're going to get there together. Um, Christopher Morgan writes, The irony of all this is striking. As humans, we refuse to acknowledge God's glory and instead sought our own glory. And in doing this, we forfeited the glory of God intended for us to, be, to have as his image bearers. Thankfully, God does not completely eradicate humanity for such cosmic treason. I love that. (laughs) Yeah, it says, thankfully, God does not completely eradicate humanity for such cosmic treason, but graciously begins a restoration process. See, we, we had the right thing. We chose, Adam chose, and we all chose with him, the wrong thing. And God said, instead of saying, oh, well, you know, you made your bed, lie in it, he begins the restoration problem, which is Jesus, okay, which is grace. Um, John Calvin says, and let me just say, I have to say in personal testimony, this, this quote is what started this whole study. Uh, one of the gals at our church did a study on humility, and um, she quoted this, and it just, first of all, it convicted me crazily. And then I was like, I got to figure that out. I got, you know, and so I went to the word and rooted out all kinds of scriptures. And this study came out of that. And here's the quote. It says, John Calvin says, we never truly glory in him until we have utterly discarded our own glory. Who glories in himself Glories against God. I'm telling you, if that doesn't convict you, I just do not know. And I think of all the times that I've done beautiful Christian things, but I got the glory. And, I'm, and he's like, I'm not pleased with that. But you see, he's the restoration progress. <laughs> he is, we are a work. He says, I am confident of this very thing that he who began a work in you will perfect it to Christ, to the day of Christ Jesus. Um, so that's where we are. But let me just tell you, our world says we are a confident woman is somebody who glories in themselves. And, and I'm not, and I'm, again, you're never going to hear me say, don't be a strong woman, be a strong woman. But at the same time, our strength is to be founded on him. Um, and then we are to give him the glory. So who we, whoever so glories in himself glories against God. Um, glory has a lot to do with boasting. Uh, what do we boast about? Jesus condemns the Pharisees because they did the good works, and that was great, but they did it all for the praise of man. 
And honestly, that's a grid that you, it's, you, you, you know, a lot of times you got to, that's true. And a lot of times we do good things, but we don't do them for him. We do it for, you know, you know, somebody at the church to say, that's great. That's awesome. It's good teaching, whatever it is. And, and we have to realize that God does not share his glory and we become who he wants us to be in Christ when we are in line and that we have true north and everything that we do points to his glory. Um, and we don't grab it for ourselves. Um, but know that we have our flesh nature and your flesh nature is your glory grabber. Okay. <laughs> and that's the enemy within. <laughs> so, and anyway, that, like I said, it led me in this study because I was like horrified how horrible I was. I was soaking up God's glory and I was like, oh, okay. So glory has, um, okay. So Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 says, thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness on the earth, for in these things I delight, declares the Lord. So again, if you want to pick something that you want to say, you know, boast about, boast that you know him. That, and again, you know, we, we do this with, you know, the, the sports figures all the time, you know. Like if I would be Tom Brady, you know, I would be like, oh, I'd be boasting about that. Because like, you know, like all of a sudden, like I'm important because I'm next to him. We have the eternal God who gave his very own son for us so that we can live in communion with him. Why is it that we're not boasting in that? Just saying. Okay. First Corinthians 1, 26 through 31 for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is the foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose the low and the despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us the wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, redemption, so that is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Do you want to know what you were created to do? You were created to boast in the Lord. That's what you, and if you want happiness, don't be trying to grab glory and have other people say you're great, but have everything that you have that you're boasting in is being the Lord. Um, this should change not just the way we think, it should change the way we speak to one another. We should just, you know, instead of sharing, oh, this hurts, or this, we should share what God has done for us, how he took us as a sinner and now he's working and he's just never gets so tired. You remember how when your kids were little and how many times you had to say to them, what do you say? And they say, please. You say, what do you say? You say, please. And like a million times and finally, like they're probably in college, when they finally say please on their own and you're like, oh, yeah, you know. <laughs> See, Jesus, 
is always saying, what do you say? <laughs> what do you say? <laughs> and he never gets tired <laughs> because he want, he is making us little Jesuses, little Christs. Uh, and, and he's, thankfully, because he's so great and he's so wonderful and that's why we give him glory, he has all eternal strength, eternal wisdom, eternal and power to um, constantly be refreshing us, renewing us in his spirit. So anyway, so the answer to cosmic treason is Christ. Okay, we turned away and we could not find him anymore. We were lost in our sin and our trespasses. Ephesians, so we were dead in our trespasses and sin. And see, Jesus came for us. So Christ in you becomes the hope of glory. That's Colossians 1.27. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You want glory? Move out of the way and invite him in. <laughs> you empty yourself, he will fill you. Christ in you is the hope of glory. The glory of God is man, according to Irenaeus, who was an early church father. The glory of God is man fully alive. You know, he's come to give us true life. Um, He said, I am the way, the truth, the life. He says, I am the life. Um, And he gives us that life. And when we absorb that life, when we are living in him, through him, with him, in communion with him, I don't know how many times, I don't know how ways I can say it. When we get out of the way and we let him run the show, that is glory. Um... 2 Corinthians is one of my favorite passages. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 and 7, and we're going to study it later too, but it says, For God who says, let the light shine out of the darkness. Now, again, that's bringing us back to the Old Testament. Anytime, you know, the Lord said, let there be light. You know, God said, let there. Okay, so he's saying, just as significant as this creation, when God said, let there be light. For God who says, let light shine out of the darkness, has made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure, ladies, in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. See, ladies, it's really all about him. And that's true north. When we are focused on that, that we, we're, get, we're getting it right. And we, as you know, because we sin all the time when we're fleshly and we have the wrong thoughts and all that, we stray off, then we come back. And if we are absorbed in, like MacArthur said, when he said, uh, okay, let me get up. Okay, to be the highest purpose of an individual can have is to be totally absorbed in the person of God and to view all of life through eyes filled with his wonder and glory. That is the perspective of a true worshiper, one who truly glorifies God. See, be absorbed, you know. Um, that's a, I think that we, we can get better at that. Um, I think that the, the world, and because the world is run by Satan, he's the prince of the power of the air, is all about distracting us from our, pu- our, our purpose, which is to glorify God. It's all set up as a distraction. Um, and a lot of times, some good things are distracting. 
But we got to get to the true north. What is, what is God's glory? How is that going to unfold in my life? How can I give him the most honor and glory? How can everything I do be seen in such a way that gives him all the tribute and the praise? Um, that's, that's our prime directive, and that's what we need to be a little bit more. Um, uh, we can get, all get improve on that. The theological definition of glory, Luz Schaefer writes in systemat- his systematic theology, the boundless glory of God, um, as for the glory which is essential or intrinsic, it might be observed that regardless of any recognition of it on its part of its creatures, God is himself a glorious being. I want you to hear that because a lot of times we think that God's glory depends on us proclaiming his glory. And I want you to know that God is glorious, (laughs) whether we get it right or wrong. (laughs) Now, if we get it right, oh, hallelujah. But if we get it wrong, he's not in heaven saying, oh, no, oh, no. He's the, he's, I am, you know, he told Moses, what is your name? My name is I am. I am that I am. That's Yahweh. And that means I'm the self-existent one. I don't need your praise. I don't need your glory. If you see things correctly, you will give glory to where glory is due. And I give this illustration all the time. When you, when I'm a, when I was a, you know, when I was guidance counselor, I would observe teachers all the time. Um, that was one of my deals. And I would observe kids in classroom with behavior issues, whatever. But it was always funny to me because, you know, typically we would have student teachers come in at Christmas, uh, right at the new year. And so this veteran teacher had been with these kids all year, you know, six months, has trained these children. They have their little behavior charts. They have their little reinforcements. They have all of this, okay? And so this student teacher walks in, and she assumes, you know, slowly assumes the reins of the classroom and all of that. And, you know, at the end, you know, the principal comes in and grades them and all that. And, and it's like she's grading this new little teacher on a system that this teacher didn't start. You know, she, this, these kids are all well-behaved because they have learned the price of not being well-behaved in the first four months of school. <laughs> and so, so giving her all of the praise would not be truthful because really some of the praise belongs to the teacher who's sitting in the back of the room grading papers while she's teaching, but she set it all up. <laughs> and let me just tell you, we tend to grab that glory and it really is him. He set it all up. He set everything up. Um, so, and it's sort of mind-boggling. So anyway, um, let me finish my quote. So Schaefer says, God himself is a glorious being. Glory belongs to him as light and heat belong to the sun. It is therefore becomes a misrepresentation of infinite proportion to withhold from God a worthy acknowledgement of his glory. Get that? If we attribute something that we should, if I go in and say, oh, this classroom is all because this new little teacher who's like, you know, so wet behind the ears and honestly has never had to deal with any of these kids' behavior issues because it's all been taken care of. If I give her all the glory, that's wrong. See, I'm, I'm evaluating incorrectly. It's not the truth. Um, when we really understand what God is and who he is and what he has done, we will give him the glory. 
And we're going to get there, but I'm telling you, in the ages to come, as the Bible says, as waters have covered the earth, God's glory will cover us. Cover. So it, it ultimately, he's, he's going to get all the glory. That's, that's, I just I get this feeling when you said that. It's just like, that's when we just need to bow down. Yeah. Just bow down. And we need to be bowing down way more than we do, yeah. ladies. I'm just saying, I'm, it's only I mean, me. But that, I just, I just saw all this, all this go to go into the floor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're exactly right. What was that guy's name that you just was? Uh, Lewis Schaefer is was a theologian in Dallas uh, Theological Ceremony. He wrote a systematic theology that I have all seven volumes of, <laughs> and that's where I got some. <laughs> What Schaefer, his name is uh, Lewis Schaefer. Lewis. Schaefer with a C. Um, okay, so the intrinsic glory of God. God doesn't need your praise. He's a self-existent one. Um, and John Piper had this quote in something. I heard him say this, and he said, God is not like a middle school girl that's looking for a compliment. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes people think when they talk about glory, like God's up in heaven saying, oh, didn't you notice what I'm wearing today? You know? <laughs> it's just us seeing life correctly will give him the glory he deserves. Um, I want us to turn our eyes to the beauty and the glory of God. I don't want to tell you not to look over here where a man's accomplishments and his impressive achievements. I, I don't want to tell you, don't look at that. I'm, I want to say, look at God. He hits so much better. The view is so much better from over here. And when you're esteeming man, we're a little skewed in our thinking. That's what becomes our wrong thinking. It says in Romans 1, we just read that. So um, I would rather magnify God in all his glory with his mighty attributes, his stunning love, his awesome power, and magnify. When I magnify him in this way, it should not be a surprise that I am eclipsed. Eclipsed. Oh, it, it's just it happens that way. So when people like come at you at church and say, oh, you shouldn't think highly of yourself. I would rather them say, we should think highly of God. And then see what's left there <laughs> for you. <laughs> uh, see what I'm saying? I, I feel like we sometimes we try to get ourselves to do the right thing, but the wrong way. Uh, and I really feel like we should, we need to back up and really study who God is, and that's what this study is going to do. I mean, from the start to the finish. Um, okay, so, and I've used this illustration before. When you go to the Louvre, I think it's in the Louvre, and you look at the Mona Lisa, if you've ever been there. Mm-hmm. First of all, she's way smaller than you ever can imagine. <laughs> and when you, you are not in the room alone with Mona Lisa. There's at least 40 or 50 art students that are all there, okay? And they're studying the Mona Lisa, But let me tell you something very interesting. Not one of them is talking about Mona. They're all talking about Da Vinci because Da Vinci was the master, not Mona. Nobody's saying, oh, she has a chip in her tooth or she should have worn this. This is a better color for her. She's a winter, you know. They're talking about, they're talking about Da Vinci who is a master, this was his masterpiece, right? And that's kind of where we should be in our world. We should be admiring the masterpiece that God has made, starting with creation, to the creation right now of you, because he's in you creating a new person. Whoever is in Christ Jesus is a new creation. 
Isn't that great? And so, I mean, the creation that's keep going is, is us right here. So, and anyway, so we should be ascribing him glory. And that is your memory verse that you have three weeks to learn this. So, so put it on your mirror or wherever you put it in the car. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering. Come to his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Um, so that's, that's your homework assignment. Got it? Um, in 1 Chronicles 16.26, is a be- David is writing, uh, actually, it's chronicling Di- David's turning the, pa- turning the kingdom over to his son Solomon. And this is, the, this is the opening of the temple. It's just amazing. I mean, it's like a huge revival. But this is what David writes as this is all happening. He says, and this is 1 Chronicles 16, 28, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders the Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. So when, you're, when David is talking about that, he's talking about when we worship him and giving him the glory that's due his name. Name in the Old Testament is not like his name, like his name is Yahweh or his name is Adonai or his name is El Shaddai. It's, not, it's talking about who he is. It's all his attributes. So when we worship him in the splendor of his own holiness, we are really reveling in the fact that he's infinite, he's eternal, he's immutable, he's omnipotent, he's omniscient, he's sovereign, he's omnipresent, he's just, he's loving, he's truth, he's holy, and the list goes on. That's when, when we are pulling and pulling all of his attributes together and sort of like standing back or like Kathleen said, where we just bow down, we are worshiping and that Ladies, is what we are called to do. That is our prime directive, to give him the glory, do his name. So Psalms 24, 7 through 10 says, Lift up your heads, O gates, be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. And who is the king of glory? The Lord, strong, mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your head, O gates. Lift them up, O ancient doors. The king of glory may come in. And who is the king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Now, when you see Lord of hosts, that's the Lord of angel armies. That's, hosts mean angel armies. So when we think we are praising him, don't think we're all alone because his angel armies are praising him at all times. His, we're not alone. We, and in fact, when we start praising him, here's what we realize. We realize that we are now the little tiny piccolo in this huge symphony of praise that has been going on since he created the world and will go on forever and ever. Amen. We are just adding our note. And hopefully, if we do it well, we'll be on key. <laughs> and, we, and we will just merge into this symphony of praise that is going around all the time. Um, so Psalms 104, 1 and 2 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, O my Lord, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. Um, 
Here's the deal. There is a symphony of praise. Uh, in Luke 19.40, when Jesus was walking in on um, Palm Sunday, and all the people were praising him, and they were like, excuse me. And he says, if, you, if they don't praise me, the rocks themselves would cry out. And you look at some of the Psalms, you know, the, and Isaiah. Oh, my gosh, the trees of the fields will clap their hands. And the mountains will shout forth with joy. I mean, there is, this is happening, ladies. Um, so we are to join in that chorus. Um, I got a lot of verses here, but I'm going to close. Okay, so let me just close with two things. Romans eleven thirty three through 36. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom of the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgment, how unscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? And who has been his counselor? For who has been given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Now, in conclusion, when I was in college, do you remember it when you're in school? And the and, you know, you're just sort of listening. And then you would hear this phrase. And your ears would perk up and your pen would be ready. Because the teacher would say these very words. They would say, this is going to be on the test. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you're like, okay. <laughs> well, I don't know where I was, but I know where I am now. <laughs> okay. Because this is going to be on the test. <laughs> so, um... So here's, because what was going to be on the test was what really mattered the most. I feel that God has told us through his word that everything that we are to do is to glorify him. And let me just tell you, ladies, there's going to be a test. Um, What grade do you think you would make on that test? And when I did this, I, I, this, my first study I did this was a year ago. I was like, okay, I am making an F. Okay. (laughs) So maybe now I'm up to a D (laughs) because honestly, I can't say that everything that I do brings him glory, but I know that that is my true North. And that is, um, when I get it right. And when I get it right, it's sort of like back to the Westminster catechism. I am giving him glory and guess what? I get to enjoy him. Because there's great, there's so much pleasure in doing what we were made to do. Um, and striving to do so, then you get the enjoyment. Absolutely. And see, Romans 6, 16, 27. This is Romans, Paul's closing out one of his, you know, his big theological book. And he closes this magnificent epistle and he says, to the only wise God, the glory forevermore through Jesus Christ, amen. And in, and in fact, in the Greek, there is no, there, it, in the Greek, um, there's no verb there. It says, to the only wise God, glory, <laughs> glory, because that's what we are called to do. That's what we are made to do. And ladies, that's what we're going to learn about. But here's the deal. This is way far me. You're going to have to ask Jesus to help you understand this. And you're going to have to think about it and come before open his word. And you test every verse. Like I said, you know, read it for yourself because he will open our minds to things that are so above us, um, but will give us light and give us light so that we can walk in a way um, like Jesus said in the Sermon of the Mount. You know, whatever we do, 
do, that we're to do it all for his glory and that all my good works should give him the honor and the glory that is due him. So let's close in prayer.